universal core values. Now, turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. As we continue our uh, look at the gospel mashup, um, for those of you who are new with us, we've been, actually since the fall, we've been looking chronologically through all of the gospels and sort of mixing them up, sort of a bigger picture of what God is uh, doing through Christ and the, the ministry of Christ. Um, and uh, during Lent, now we are in the Passion Week, um, and that's where we find ourselves now in Matthew 21. Anyone know the, the topic during the Passion Week narrative um, that gets the most uh, written space in the Bible? The topic in the Passion narrative, anyone have a guess, that gets the most uh, words, time? Judgment. Anyone know what the least preached on topic during Passion Week is? Judgment. Do you all want to hear a sermon on judgment today? No, you don't. <laughs> um, why is it the least preached on subject? Um, well, our, our account tells us why. It's the least preached on, and because it's hard, right? The main image that we're going to be looking at today is the, is the image of the fig tree that Jesus stands in front of right outside the walls of Jerusalem and curses and judge and causes the leaves to wither, um, and that's hard, amen? That's hard stuff. It is the wrath of God for sin. I can't water that down. I don't want to water. I do want to water that down, but I'm not going to. Okay? It's the wrath of God for sinners, and that's hard. But the lesson of the fig tree also gives us the reason why it is rarely preached on a church. It's a lesson that warns the church and followers of Christ against outward appearances. The outward appearances of appearing like a Christian when there's actually no real fruit against Christian lipstick and rouge, if you will, that covers up the truth of the heart behind them. It's a lesson and it's a warning to Christians and the church that Jesus sees right through the pious moral uh, appearances and straight into the heart to see if there is the real actual fruit of real actual faith. And then after he does the fig tree, he will go on to tell seven or eight parables that all have the same point. That's why it takes up so much space. <clears throat> yeah, let's not go there. Amen? Pastor Jay, let's not go there. Let's just not. Um, sorry to disappoint you. We are going there if for no other reason than Pastor Jay needs to go there. Um, and he needs to hear this and take stock of his own heart. Um, it's important to note that this comes right on the heels of the cleansing of the temple that we looked at last week. Um, and so let's open our hearts now to God's word from Matthew chapter 21. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. 
And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, anyone know who these guys are? Uh-oh. In 2017, that great bastion of, of journalism, TMZ, became obsessed with these two. Uh, Justin Bieber, are you a believer? Justin Bieber had canceled all of his concert dates because, he says, I've rededicated my life to Christ. Largely because of this guy. Pastor at Hillsong, Carl Lentz. Um, TMZ became obsessed with this, so interested, not only in Justin Bieber, but also this Carl Lentz guy. One day they showed Carl Lentz dunking a basketball. And they said this. They said, if that doesn't get you to church, nothing will. Now, I know y'all didn't just come for the chili cook-off. Y'all came because you know I've got game and you want to see over there on the blacktop. Um, you may know the rest of the story. Carl Lentz was fired from Hillsong. He had a massive moral failure, a massive downfall, um, very publicly uh, cheered on his wife, and uh, was fired. It, it feels like style over substance. Have you ever heard that style over substance? Outward appearance over the apparent inward reality. And I say apparent because we have to be careful. Listen, y'all, we have to be careful. Um, <clears throat> some of you may have heard that I was going to be preaching on this passage this week, um, and you got excited because maybe you grew up in a church full of uh, style and not substance. Or maybe you grew up in a family that was all style and not substance, right? And so you're sort of internally saying, <laughs> He's going to let them have it. We have to be careful. It's not ours to judge. Someone say, period. Period. I'm not saying that Lentz doesn't have genuine faith. I'm just saying that the fruit's hard to see. The fruit's hard to see. Okay? We cannot, though, judge. And let me give you another example. Uh, years ago, I was in, um, I was in uh, Southern California, and I uh, lived out there, and I found myself one morning to the horrendous situation that I was out of coffee. And it was like 6.30 in the morning, so I rolled out of bed, went, no brush teeth, nothing. I was like, coffee, 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 coffee. Straight to the car, ran to the grocery store, went into the grocery store, and I'm, I'm 
wiping the, the, the sleep out of my eyes when I turn the corner and who do I see but right there. Y'all know who that is? Tammy Faye Baker. Now, Tammy Faye Baker, for those of you who don't know, was, uh, was a longtime host on uh, TBN with her husband, Jim, and she was bigger than life. Big hair, right? Big laughs, big makeup, big lipstick. And they had a giant downfall, too. And I was like, I walked into her in that aisle. I saw her. She was totally done up at 6.30 in the morning. I walked into her, and I, said, I, I was like, oh, it was a shock. Uh, I didn't need coffee anymore. Um, I got my coffee, and I walked straight past her, and I honestly was like, that's gross. That's what I hate about Christians. Right there. Hypocrisy. And then about a year and a half later, I saw a documentary on Tammy Faye Baker called The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and it turns out that she's the real deal. That her faith is sweet and genuine and deep. And yes, she wears lots of makeup, right? Yes, she covers it up. Yes, it is bigger than life. But the truth is, as I turned the corner that day um, in that coffee aisle, and I, I was the hypocritical one. That's a giant pastoral disclaimer about the lesson of the fig tree. Don't put that on anybody else. Okay? It's not our job to judge. So it's really important to clarify that. Holy Spirit right there. Uh, it's really important not to judge that. Okay. Um, the point is for this sermon to examine ourselves of the fruit in our own lives. That's what Jesus is doing for his disciples and what he wants to do for each of us. Um, because it's clear from Jesus the judge, Jesus knows and the heart will be judged. And the fig tree is a huge warning for that. And now, it's, the fig tree is symbolic of Israel and the temple. I could give you a million Bible verses. I won't. Um, but the point is, is that the fig tree has leaves on it, but there's no pods. So it's got all of the appearance of a fig tree, but no fruit. That's the, that's the point. So the big question is, do we have fruit, right? Do I have fruit as a Christian? Because I don't want what happened to me to happen to the fig tree. Amen? So the obvious question is, I'll get her off. God love her. What kind of fruit is Jesus looking for here? Right? What kind of fruit is Jesus looking for? The assumptions that we're going to make, I bet you I can guess what your assumptions are, probably most of you went to moral fruit, right? Do I cuss? Do I, uh, do I do the right things all the time? Do I walk old ladies past the, uh, across the street? Do I, do I uh, what do I do, right, morally speaking? That's not the kind of fruit Jesus is talking about. That's not what he addresses in all of the, the parables that follow. That's not it. 
The other thing you may have jumped to is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the, the relational fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. from Galatians 5 from Paul. Um, and, and that's important. Like, just like morality is important. Don't hear me saying morality is not important. But just like that, that's also, while it's important, that's not the fruit Jesus is talking about. He's not just saying be nice to people. We get the main cruise, clues from what type of fruit Jesus is looking for from those subsequent parables of judgment. Again, Matthew 21 through 25, if you want to go read those. Um, <clears throat> these have one kind of fruit in mind. I'm going to leave you hanging just a little bit before I tell you. Uh, to get there, I've got to go take us back to the temple where we were last week. I've got to go back to the temple because the, the story of him overturning the tables of the ten, temple is very closely intertwined with the fig tree story. In fact, Mark sandwiches them together. <coughs> and if you were here last week, to remind you, the temple is a picture of Eden. It was always meant to be a picture of Eden. Um, uh, and Jesus overturning the money changers and the tables um, was his agenda to restore the temple, to restore Eden um, back to the way it ought to be, right? And the other people who were setting up money changers and the Pharisees who were making a big, uh, a big show of things were working against Eden. Okay, just to remind us, um, did you? And and Jesus's agenda was to restore that, right? The communion of God and man, the intimacy of God and man. That's what Jesus came for, right? Jesus came to restore our intimacy with God and to restore our intimacy with each other. Um, and, so, <clears throat> and so the temple was this sacred space. It was this sacred space where God and man could be together again, where a holy God and a sinful man could come together and commune once again, just like it was in Eden. It is a, a taste of the way it's supposed to be. As such, the temple is an embodiment of Jesus and his mission. Full stop. As such, the temple is an embodiment of Jesus and his mission to repair the world, to bring us back together again. Now, I want you to stick with me here because this is really important. This logic is, is really important here. Follow me. The temple was to be a taste, a taste of Eden, of the real thing. When people came to the temple, they were supposed to be like, oh, this is what it was supposed to be like. God and me, me and my brothers, okay? A taste of the thing to come. And by the way, that's what supposed to be too, the church. <clears throat> it was, the temple was to be a taste of the reconciled, reconciling relationship between God and man, and the temple was to be a signpost to the reality of God's holiness and man's sinfulness, like we've been talking about today, and to God's promise to do something about it in Christ. Very important that we grab hold of that. Passover, while this was happening, was a reminder of that, where all the people came in, the Lamb of God was slain. Um, the, the, the blood 
Um, not, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? That blood was placed over the doorpost. We celebrate the fact that God had mercy on us, that he didn't give us according to our sin, but instead he made a way through the Lamb of God. That's what this whole celebration that Jesus is in the middle of right now is all about. Bringing us back together with God, making a way through our sin to God's holiness. That's what the temple was all about, right? They had the Holy of Holies, and they had the curtain that divided it on the Day of Atonement. What would they do? What would the priest do? They would take a lamb, and they would slaughter it, and they would go through the curtain where only the high, high priest could go, and they would splatter the, the covenant, um, the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark thing, they would slather, slather that in Jesus' blood on the mercy seat, thus creating a way for us to be in to God, a holy God, and sinners. That's exactly um, what this, this, this temple is supposed to be about. Eden. Got it? <clears throat> and those who were not doing that in the temple were rejecting him. Instead of about that, being a taste and a signpost, they were a signpost to their own capitalism or a platform for their religious leaders to dunk. And so Jesus blows the place up and then he goes out to the fig tree and he curses it. So this is like a You've rejected me. You've rejected me and my mission to bring this together, and so you will have to experience the wrath that goes with that. It's like a war hero coming home uh, and seeing his kid, walking in on his kids. His kids don't know he's coming, right? You've seen those videos. A war hero comes home. I'm home. Here I am. And the, the, the war heroes, what do they do? I mean, what do the kids do? Oh, hey, Dad. That's how Jesus is feeling right now. He's come to reconcile the world to God, to restore Eden. <clears throat> There's no fruit of being a taste or a signpost. And that's the fruit that Jesus wants to see. And us, are we tasting? of the hope we have, are we signposts to the one who's going to bring it? Do our lives point to Jesus as the Christ? And do we have hope in that? Do we believe and trust in the promises of God to restore Eden and reunite us through Christ? That's very essentially what he's asking the disciples here um, in this. He said, are, the temple is not doing its job of being a taste and signpost. Are you? Joe Novenson, who's a great pastor in our denomination, said this. He's got his 12, and he's saying to them, gentlemen, what the temple is not, you be. You be the ones that make clear that in me and all my holiness meets with sinners and all their sinfulness, and I will change them through all that I am and through all I have done and will do. <clears throat> when our family and our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors see us, do they see any sign? Do they taste any taste? 
right? Do they taste hope? Do they taste the possibility of something better? Scott Sauls, another pastor in our denomination, posted this yesterday, reminded me of this. That it's possible to memorize the Bible, but we still miss Jesus. If we have, we are more cynical than joyful, out. Critical than kind, out. Suspicious than trusting, ouch. Well, let's just move on. Grumpy than glad, rigid than curious, partisan than welcome, greedy than charitable, fickle than faithful. The truth is that we can be very churchy, can't we? We can be very lipsticky, but people still not taste the hope that we have in Jesus. See our lives pointing to the hope that we have in Jesus. Um, right? Taste and signposts. Is the church a taste and a signpost? God, I hope so. God forbid if we do anything other than point to Jesus. Right? If we are obsessed with politics or entertainment or capitalism or dunking more than being a taste of Eden, we are off track, right? We are not assigned us to Jesus. We're not giving a taste of the thing that we should be giving a taste of. We should be obsessed with him and his mission and nothing else, really. Or else we'll be judged like the fig tree. No substance of, on the style. Okay, so that's the fruit. Got it? Taste signpost. Next obvious question. How do we get it? Please, if he's made you at all uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Like he has me, how do we get that fruit? Um, I, I've already told you, really, if you, if you are listening through believing and trusting, through faith, that's what Jesus really wants to see. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? And you know what I mean by that, right? There's a difference between believing something is true and trusting. I've told this illustration before, I know. You'll get sick of it. Don't worry. Um, a long time ago, um, there was this guy named Magellan. Anyone heard of Magellan? You know, he, he was the first person to circumnavigate the globe. Um, do you know that scientists, astronomers, all that was well established? The world is round. We know it's round. We're positive it's round. It's not flat. It's round. Um, long established for like 150 years. Everyone said, yeah, the world's round. But there's a big difference in knowing that's true and getting in a boat and sailing for the horizon. Amen? That's what Magellan did. That's faith. And there's a big difference between knowing something is true, intellectually, and trusting. And that's the trust that Jesus wants to see. Jesus wants us to say to ourselves, we're out of option, we sinners. And we only have one place to turn. And that's the Christ who came and who laid down his life and rose again, right? That's the faith that Jesus wants to see. Do you believe I'm here because I love you? Do you believe I'm here that because I want to restore Eden? Do you believe that I have made you into worshipers and your best freedom and your most the biggest way that you will flourish is by being with me? 
do you believe? That's exactly where Jesus goes with our text. Verse 20, they marvel at the cursed tree, and then Jesus says this. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not do, only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Boy, that's an encouragement. Anyone else have more trouble with this than with the fig tree? <clears throat> I told you this is why no one ever preaches on this text. It's hard. <clears throat> is it saying something like, if I have evidence of the fruit that I'm supposed to be displaying, and if I pray, then that will be faith enough to make mountains move, to get what I want? Is that what that's saying? No. Nor is it saying you can't doubt. Amen? It's saying, don't doubt. He's the Christ. <laughs> but it's not saying you can't have doubt. Even, I mean, he will also say, what about the mustard seed? Even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can do what? Move mountains. What's he saying? Here's the problem. This is what we do all the time. I do it all the time. I don't know about you. Um, but we divorce our faith. We, we, we think our faith is the power. We think our faith is an entity in itself. And if we just have faith, right, if we have this big faith, then we'll be able to do great things, right? That's the problem with some of these lipstick and rouge Christian churches, frankly, right? They have all these platitudes, just have bigger faith, right? And it's all, it's nothing about Jesus, it's about us. Just conjure up faith, right? As if faith was the power. We divorce the power from the cause. We, we, it's not about our faith, it's about our faith in Jesus, it's turning to him. It's the object of our faith that's the big thing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's looking at the temple mount on this mountain. If you want to say this mountain be moved and thrown into the sea, guess what? And you pray that? You're going to get what you want because I came to do that. I came to restore Eden. I came to restore you to me. I came to get rid of all of that religious superiority and all that fake pietism and all that, that, that lipstick and rouge. Not that that's wrong, don't hear me wrong, but I came to get rid of all that that they're doing that think that that's going to change the world when the one who's going to change the world is me. Have faith in me. I'm the only one who can bring Eden back. That's what he's saying here. Have faith in me. And when we trust him, brothers and sisters, when we bank on him for that, that's our only hope. When we say, you are our only hope for the thing that we want more than anything, which is the healed world. When we welcome him in, say, yes, you are the Christ, then we will be a taste. A signpost. fig tree full of fruit personally and that's a choice okay so do you have fruit I can't answer that for you I don't know maybe so maybe not maybe um, your life really points to capitalism or 
or comfort or celebrity. I get it. Not perfectly. Don't hear me say that. I know. Um, maybe it points to an Eden of your own imagination. I'm going to fix the world. I'm going to do this. That's kind of what the merchants and the, the Pharisees were doing in the temple. Right? We don't need a Christ. We got it. Maybe that's what, what the fruit really is in your life. I got to say, um, with all honesty, again, not cherry picking it, um, God forbids that. And that's what he's saying here. God forbids that. I, and, I, and I use that language on purpose because it comes from Galatians 6. And when I was a brand new believer, I was taking a walk through the woods. And I was listening to a Tim Geller, Keller sermon on cassette tape on my Walkman. Okay? And I'm walking through, listening to a sermon on Galatians 6. And he comes across this verse. He says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I am to the world. And then Tim Keller gave a long pause. I'm like, oh. He said, God forbid it. God forbid it. Our lives are not lived for our glory. They're lived unto him that he shares with us that he brings us into in Eden. Now, I turned around, and that afternoon, I, I, I signed up for seminary. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not saying you should do that. Some of you are doing that, and that's great, but that's not my point. I'm not saying do that. I'm not saying go and be a missionary in Mongolia. I'm not saying do any of that. There's plenty of opportunities in your life right now to be a taste and a signpost to Eden in your families, in your workplaces, in your cubicles, wherever you are, okay? To say to the world, taste the hope I have. Taste the fact that the desires of your soul are coming true. And let me show you who's going to. I want to leave you with this thought. In a few days, Jesus is going to do his mission regardless. Again, your faith <laughs> isn't the thing that it is the power. Jesus is the power. He's going to do his mission regardless. Do you remember what happens when he's hanging on that cross and the, the lights go out? What happens? The curtain of the temple is torn in two. That way is open. There's no other sacrifice needed. He's done. He's done it. And he rose from the dead three days later. And that is the basis that Paul says for our trust. Oh, the world's round. Let's shove off for the horizon. That is the taste and the signpost to the table. So let's go there now.